So you do kind of zone out, but then you also reach a point where you get a bit heightened, so you start to notice things a bit more, so you're noticing the deer that's running along the ridge of the hill, or a buzzard over there, and an eagle up in the top ridge. So it's kind of, you, you go past the zoned out stage to the more kind of heightened, just starting to hear the grass rustling and see the trees moving a bit. And once you reach that stage, you're noticing things that you wouldn't notice if you just turned up for five minutes or ten minutes. Well, hello and welcome to the Viewfinders Photography Podcast. You just heard from award-winning landscape photographer Mark Pickering. More from Mark in a minute. And me, I'm your host, Graham Dargie, a professional photographer based in Aberdeen in Scotland. Aberdeen is the kind of place where the sun might be shining, but it's still really, really cold. First off, I want to say a big thank you for the excellent response to last week's episode with Scott Chutinho. Wow, thanks to everyone who listened and who got in touch with me. Uh, If you're new to the show from last week's episode, welcome to the Viewfinders community. I hope you find lots of new, interesting photographers through the show and that you're inspired to take the next bold steps on your photography journey. As for my photography, well, I was out teaching a landscape one-to-one at the weekend at one of the best locations in my local area, Rattray Head, which is a wonderful little beach about 35 miles north of Aberdeen. There's a picture-perfect lighthouse, sand dunes, and we had the most amazing sunrise. So my guests and I managed to get a few nice photos before warming up at a really nice little cafe in Peterhead called Let Us Eat Healthy, link in the show notes. And look, it's the first time I've been out in the landscape for ages, and I have to say I really missed it. So I'll be doing my best to get out in the landscape again soon. Now, last week, I told you I was working on the next Viewfinders Live online event. And today, I'm super excited to announce that Viewfinders Live with Scott Chutinho will be happening on Monday, the 21st of February, 2022 at 7.30pm UK time on Zoom. Scott was my guest on last week's brilliant episode, and he'll be talking about how he creates his trademark lighting style delving into the business side of commercial photography and answering all your questions in the live Q&A. You'll also have the opportunity to win a £50 voucher in the exclusive prize draw thanks to our sponsor, MPB. The event will be recorded exclusively for ticket holders, so if you can't make it on the day, you don't have to miss out. Tickets are available now for just £15 at the Viewfinders website and on Eventbrite. If you're into food photography, studio photography, advertising photography, or if you're just getting into photography as a business, then this event is for you. If you're not into those things, then this event is still for you because Scott is just so brilliant. His enthusiasm and expertise pours out in everything he says and does. So this is going to be a great night for anybody with an interest in photography. So that's Viewfinders Live with Scott Chutinho, sponsored by MPB, on Monday, the 21st of February, 2022, 7.30pm UK time on Zoom. Tickets are available now at the Viewfinders website and at Eventbrite. Links in the show notes. I hope you can make it. It's going to be great. Okay, if you're enjoying the show, then why not follow us on Apple Podcasts so you can get new episodes as they come up and catch up on previous episodes with amazing guests like Brian Hodges, Osborne Masharia, Kai Hornung, Audrey Woolard and many, many other great photographers I've had the pleasure to talk with on the show. You can also connect with me on Instagram at Graham Dargie, where you'll find my photography 
and you can see what I've been getting up to too. Thanks to MPB for sponsoring the podcast. MPB, as you know, is the world's largest online platform for buying, selling, and trading used camera gear. MPB makes it easy to sell your unwanted gear and anything you buy comes with a six month warranty. There's a link in the show notes where you can get a valuation for your kit. And I have to say, so many of the guests that I talk to before we record, almost everybody uses MPB and they all have a ringing endorsement. So thanks again to MPB for sponsoring the show. Okay, on to this week's guest. Mark Pickering is a landscape photographer based in Argyll, Scotland. In Scotland, we have some amazing scenery and that of course breeds a lot of amazing landscape photographers. Mark is one of our best. He's the winner of the landscape category of the 2021 Scottish Landscape Photographer of the Year for his image, First Light at Loch Ederlin. Mark is uniquely in tune with the Scottish landscape, spending all day outdoors through his day job working for Forestry and Land Scotland, helping to manage Scotland's woodlands. I was curious as to how this plays into or influences his landscape photography, and Mark speaks to this in our conversation. We also talk about his experiences in Lofoten and Norway, as well as his commissioned work for clients, including Maserati and Amazon. Mark is one of my favorite Scottish landscape photographers, and here you'll meet a humble, down-to-earth guy who's as good a landscape photographer as you'll find anywhere. Before we start, I do want to apologize for the sound quality on this episode. That's on me, I just checked the wrong box when I made the call to Mark, but I hope you can stick with it and enjoy this conversation with Mark Pickering. Uh, Mark, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Yeah, good, thank you. Thanks for having me along. How's things for yourself? Yeah, good, thanks. Yeah, really good. Um, I've been really looking forward to talking with you and it's been, I know we've rearranged a couple of times, but we're finally getting this done. You shoot a um, type of landscape photography that is so um, authentic to the mood and character of the Scottish landscape. And the changing weather, you've got this rugged landscape, clouds, rain, rainbows, these sort of patches of light that kind of drift through in front of you. I love it. It's right up my street. No, thank you. And um, as we're talking, it's autumn, it's kind of the peak of autumn. And... Um, colours and conditions have been amazing at the moment. So I was wondering if you've been out shooting a lot lately or how your photography is going at the moment. Yeah, no, it's uh, thankfully picked up a little bit recently. Just, um, yeah, we're having a a small child. It's been quite difficult getting out recently, but I've Mm -hmm. managed to persuade the other half. It's autumn now, so I've disappeared as often as I could. (laughs) Mm -hmm. So I've been making the most of it. I'm quite... uh, Lucky, I work outside all day as well, so I'm kind of exposed to the environment all the time. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, no, definitely, I'd say made the most of it this year that I could anyway. So. Okay, so has it been a good autumn for you, conditions-wise? <laughs> yeah, I think it's been one of the better ones, actually. Um started off very early, all the autumn colours, and then kind of went into a lull, and then really picked up. It was just one, one or two weeks where it was just, at its peak for the constant time and Argyle where I live it can be kind of hit or miss um, often can disappear with the first storm that comes in but thankfully we had quite good conditions so yeah it was some quite astounding colours even up in Perthshire as well I had my first trip to Perthshire ever in autumn it's somewhere I've always tended to shy away from in autumn time though now 
kind of well photographed it is. Uh, so I went for my first trip and yeah, I can see why a lot of people head there in autumn. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's always beautiful when it, when you drive down from Aberdeen through Perthshire towards Glasgow, you kind of go through and Perthshire sort of opens up in front of you. It always looks spectacular yeah. to me. Um, yeah, so, no, it's quite impressive. So, yeah, as you said, you're based in Argyll, which is at the west of Scotland. It's like, um, for people who may not know who are listening, it's kind of like yeah. above Glasgow, on the coast, but below Glencoe, would that be about right? Yeah, kind of, so about an hour and a half west from Glasgow and about 45 minutes south from Oban. Um, so it's a very small town right in the, right in the west of Scotland. So it's the yeah. next stop after us is Jura, and then after that is America. So it's, right, amazing. Yeah. Lovely place. <laughs> so you must get some wild weather coming off the Atlantic, there. Yeah. or is it the Atlantic? Uh, yes, yep. Uh, yeah, we're kind of exposed to all weathers coming in from here. So, okay. yeah, mainly westerlies we get, um, but then we get the cold weather coming from the east as well. So it's yeah, it's a good place to be out and experience all the elements. So. Mm-hmm. But I read somewhere that you grew up in my part of the world, in the northeast of Scotland. Yeah. I was curious about your first memories of photography or how photography first sort of came on your radar. Um, that's quite a good question. Um, so yeah, I grew up in the, on the east coast, just south of Aberdeen, the small town Newton Hill. I stayed in until I was 10 years old. Uh, again, just spent right. all of my time as a child outside on the sea um, with my uncle and my dad out fishing from Stonehaven. Um, mm-hmm. And yeah, there was always just a basic kind of snap and twist camera there. There was always just a, a basic film camera there. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, that was probably my first memories of it, but never really fully aware of it. Um, one of my aunties, I've got a lot of family in Norway, uh, one of my aunties and my uncle are quite into the photography, so whenever we were on holiday there, there was always a camera as well. And yeah, I think it was probably always the one that was kind of poking and prodding at the lens and getting it all covered in greasy finger marks and wondering what it was. Yeah. So yeah, I think that's probably the earliest memory of cameras and photography that I've got. So. Yeah, I live in Cove Bay. Uh, it's just south of Aberdeen. It's just on the south of Aberdeen. And so it's like two places away from Newton Hill. There's Cove yeah, and then yeah, left and then yeah. Newton Hill. So we're neighbours pretty much. So. Right. <laughs> um, so, okay. And so when did uh, you first sort of pick up the camera then with sort of landscape intentions? It was something I kind of stumbled into, to be honest. Um, growing up, teenage years, always loved painting. Um, wasn't the best academically in school. I always found myself being put into an art class or a woodwork class instead of maths or right. English stuff like that. So definitely more creative side than a intellectual side mm-hmm. when it came to school. Um, so yeah, I just kind of stumbled into really through my work outdoors and obviously accessibility to cameras and phones. always found myself somewhere really in the wilds up above Lahore and working place a lot so literally just started taking kind of snaps and then seeing oh, I could do this with the phone I could do that with the phone so it was just that was a kind of 
yeah, first kind of opening to the scene photography in some respects. Um, and then with the, the kind of coming of Instagram, social media, stuff like that, it kind of gave me a portal to just put these photos out there. Um, mm-hmm. People seemed to like them, so yeah, it kind of naturally pushed me to think, right, need to start getting some actual proper kit now. And so yeah, from there I went on to having, I was given a an old Canon film camera from an ex-partner's dad, because he thought he seemed quite keen about this. So here's a camera, and yeah, being completely self-taught, that was one of the most expensive ways to start learning about all the functions in the camera, because yeah. every film I got back, they weren't cheap to get processed, and a lot of them were ruined. So <laughs> it was a good learning process. Okay. Um, so yeah, from there I decided it would actually be cheaper just to go, go down the digital route. Um, <laughs> yeah, save a bit of money in the films. And <laughs> yeah, I mean, you must be the youngest guest I've ever had on the podcast because you're the first one who said they came in through the phone. Do you know they came in yeah, photography yeah. through the phone, and then you've sort of doubled back to the film, which is yeah. weird. Yeah, um, and then gone to the digital. So m- most of us my age or older um, start start with film, and then yeah. and then digital and then all our, our phones can do this now you know yeah, so yeah. that's really interesting to hear that journey oh uh, it's quite a convoluted kind of way of getting into it i think it was <laughs> yeah but film is really expensive nowadays isn't it yeah oh it's yeah it's quite extortionate i think now i'd be more confident i'd be quite happy shooting film now but as someone learning it was just it was a it was a good way because you had to learn fast where you were going wrong um, yeah. I think that the, with the phone cameras, I hadn't really done art for a while, but I had a bit of that kind of that creativity I was needing to get out, mm-hmm. and that seemed to be just oh, start taking photos with the phone. That was a kind of way to start getting that creativity out, and then yeah, just develop from there. And so you said you work outdoors, so you work with the Forestry Commission, is that right? Yeah, formerly Forestry Commission, we've now rebranded to Forestry and Land Scotland, so same organisation, just different logo. Into my 14th year with them now, so it's been a long long time in all weathers out in Scotland, felling trees, climbing trees, cutting trees, so it's a good varied job. Yeah, that sounds really cool. So what would cause you to have to fell a tree? Is it like the tree's not well or you're clearing a particular patch of land or how does that work? Yeah, it could be for multiple reasons, to be honest. Um, we don't really fell for production anymore. That's the machines that do that. So yeah, generally it'll be large trees that are too big for the machines to fell, rotten trees, dangerous trees, ones that have been blown over in a storm. Um, yeah, just the stuff that's a bit kind of too technical to send a, a big machine in to do um, kind of easier to send a squad of guys in to do it instead so, so how many how many guys in the squad that would um, take a tree down? Uh, well when I started there was quite a lot of us but through retirements etc we went down to only a couple of people in the squad and we're now slowly building back up again mm. uh, so there's probably covering quite a big area in the west here got half a dozen guys that can that are employed by Forestry Land Scotland that can go out and fell these trees. Okay. Um, a load of other private contractors that do it for right. us. It sounds really cool. I'm seeing you in like a check shirt with one of those long saws 
uh, and another guy's at the end of the saw or an axe or something. That's what I'm imagining. I'm sure, no. I'm sure it's exactly like that. No. Uh, sometimes. Huh? <laughs> so being out in, in the outdoors like that all the time, I'm, I was wondering if it's how much does that tune you into the landscape, into the conditions, into the changing of seasons, into just the overall kind of feel of landscape photography? Can you, does that make sense? And can you talk about that at all? Yeah, no, definitely. Um, I think that's one of the the things I've found really helpful with working outside for yeah over fourteen years now. You just you get to know the weather, mm-hmm. so you can see the weather coming in. You can tell, you can read when the light's going to start coming breaking through the clouds. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's always cracked my partner and some of my friends up. We can be standing outside and I'm like, it's going to start raining in half an hour. <laughs> And they're like, no, it's not. Half an hour later, it starts raining. It's just something you get in tune with. There's no knowing the kind of area you stay in, the landscape, and how that can affect the wind and the clouds and the, the rain. And um, It definitely helps a lot with landscape photography, I've found, because you can kind of look at a forecast and you go, right, conditions look roughly like this. You know, you get used to the areas you go to. And you know how that can affect the weather coming in. Mm-hmm. So you kind of know roughly the conditions you can expect. Mm-hmm. But you don't know when they're going to arrive. So that's where the kind of waiting for 10 hours up on the hillside comes into just to get that, almost to prove yourself right that you can read the weather that well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, it definitely is definitely a big help yeah. spending out all that time outside. Yeah, it's, it sounds like it would be. And I, I think such a big part of landscape photography obviously is the weather and you know i've heard someone say not in a respectful way all landscape photography is just photographing weather and i don't think it is just photographing weather at all Hmm. but weather is is such a big part of certainly the the type of photography that you're doing having that awareness of the weather must be such a help to you when you're out in the field like that yeah no definitely it's definitely um I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a fairly fair statement that, that you are, to an extent, just photographing the weather, but it's how you, how it makes you feel mm-hmm. when you've been out all day in that weather and you get that brief two minutes of light that just changes your mood altogether. It's, it's yeah, it's, there's a lot more to landscape photography, I find, than just photographing the basic scene. It's trying to get that feeling of kind of elation at eventually getting that light in the in the frame that you want or getting the you know, just the atmosphere that the whole reason why you spend all day outside waiting to get that one image. Obviously you're you're consciously you're not looking for blue skies. I don't know what maybe I'm putting words in your mouth, but it just seems like you're not looking for that kind of nice weather. You're sort of going out into the weather, into yeah. the Scottish weather. <laughs> when did you first start heading out into those kind of rough conditions with the camera? When I started with the camera and getting quite serious thinking about the kind of images I was wanting to produce, I was going out in kind of picture postcard weather. Mm-hmm. So it was more you wanted the blue skies and the perfect flat cam reflections to get that kind of the biscuit tin kind of shot. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of I just started noticing that that's what everyone was doing, and again that comes from the social media. It was kind of just seeing you were just kind of falling into the same category as everyone else. I was feeling, I don't want to spend all my days outside just to produce something similar to what someone else is doing. So I was kind of 
yeah, seeing just through reading and stuff like that, seeing other people's images and getting seeing that real atmosphere in the photos, and I wanted to experience that mm -hmm. for myself, mm -hmm. um, which kind of led to a lot of starting to take up going hiking up the mountains. And yeah, that first time you're up in the mountains, surrounded by a blowing gale, minus five, mm -hmm. and you're standing there jittering with the camera, just going, Is this what I want? And then you just get that one big beam of light coming through, and you're like, this is why I'm doing this. So yeah. just, it just, yeah, I wanted that atmosphere in my photos. It's just something just to make me feel like I was producing something slightly different from anyone else. Yeah. And so do you scout a lot or plan a lot in advance in terms of location and weather? Is that, would that be the way that you work? Yeah, I think so. I think I'm quite lucky in a way because I've spent this uh, probably about 11 years now I've been doing making landscape images. So I've been around Scotland so many times now that I'm kind of used to certain locations. I'm getting used to what times of year are best for those locations. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot of kind of forward planning. Generally, I will have, if I go out for some to make some images, I've got an idea in my head of the one image I want to make that day, depending on the conditions that I've kind of looked at. Mm -hmm. Generally, if that happens, I'll be very surprised. There's so many failed attempts that I could spend. I, th I think there's one photo I knew that I knew the photo I wanted to make, but it took over a year of just looking at conditions, going back to the same spot till everything actually fell in place. Right. <laughs> so, yeah, I think it's uh, a lot of planning involved. Yeah. So that I think that's uh, something to for me to pick up on. You go out with that one image in mind. And that's that's mm. what you're going for that morning or afternoon. Um, I think that's a really good way to do it. I think it's easy to think you need to do more than that or that coming back with one image wouldn't be enough. Mm. But actually, when you're quite deep into landscape mm. photography, coming back with one is good one is pretty darn good. Is that, do you agree with that? No, I definitely, definitely agree with that. I mean, it's yeah, something I've found through the years of doing it, you used to kind of go out, you come out with a lot of images, you spend a lot of time trolling through mm -hmm. the SD card and so not too sure. And you just kind of naturally, I found anyway, I've naturally progressed into yeah, that planning that one shot that I want to get. It could take me four or five attempts of coming home after spending 12 hours out in the hill, mm -hmm. not getting the shot I wanted. Mm -hmm. But then when you finally get that one shot, it's like, that's, I think that's what, I try to put through the photos that I get. It's that kind of elation, that feeling of being there from eventually getting that shot. It'll be a long process at times, but it's definitely, definitely worth the patience in the end. <laughs> so, um, I read somewhere on your website maybe that you would be quite happy wild camping. Um, so would you go? Hmm. So, what was the sort of longest you've spent out in the field with looking for one picture and one sort of sitting, as it were? One sitting. Uh, done three nights up in Ascent, uh, which was the culmination of four years of failed attempts. And I just went, I'm staying out until I get the shots. <laughs> <laughs> uh, so there was one mountain, it's across from Stack Poly. It's got no path up it. And I've seen one shot from it and I went, I want to see that for myself. So I was pushed back so many times with weather not finding the route, the back going because I had all my tent and camping gear and camera gear on me. Mm -hmm. um, but it was well, 
you know, 2019, just before all the lovely COVID arrived, I eventually just went, I'm going up there, I'm getting a shot. Uh, went up, it was a roasting hot day. The first day I went up 30 odd degrees, 20 odd kilos I kept on. Mm. Knew where the top of the hill was and just took me about four hours. Eventually got up there. Midges were horrendous. Mm -hmm. Camped all night. Lovely night up there. Not quite bright. The second night eventually got the conditions I was looking for. It was just beautiful sunset. Nice mist just starting to form. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that was that was one of those moments. I think I loved the images that I got more than probably anyone would have. It wasn't about the reaction they were going to get when I posted them. It was just this was a major achievement for me. Yeah. <laughs> Eventually getting to the location, getting the shots in the end. Yeah. Um, I did stay up for another night just to, just in case I would get anything better, but I had to go back and go back to work eventually. <laughs> <laughs> Otherwise, I'd probably stay up there all week after that. <laughs> so is that the one, I'm looking at your website, it's, I think Stackpole is in the distance and it's got these sort of rock sort of formations in the foreground. Is it that Location. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Scortooth, the mountains, uh, Corbett, I think, Sub, Sub Monroe. Okay. It's a great spot. I didn't realise it was that difficult to, to get to, actually. Yeah, I think there's a shorter route, but I think yeah, I think I took the harder route when I went. <laughs> okay. I've had a couple of guests on that I'm, that I'm really thinking about when you've been talking. One is uh, Jim Richardson, who's the National Geographic photographer. Mm from the yeah. States and he's got a picture from that similar similar spot there and um, yeah. he's he's a big fan and he loves Scotland and he's all, he's been here so many times. The other photographer yeah. I'm really thinking about is Magnus Lindbom who's a Swedish guy and he, he'll go into the wilderness over there for weeks you know like several weeks and looking for right. similar experiences as you've um, described. Not mm -hmm. not meaning to one up you or anything, but it's the same kind of drive I think to to be out there for a long yeah. time, difficult weather. But then it's that short moment, really, isn't it, that you're looking for? No, definitely, it just makes all the difference. I think it happens with landscape photography. Sometimes you can turn up to a location and within five minutes, you get the light you want. Mm -hmm. Very rare, but you can get you get exactly what you want, and then it's like oh, good. But you still this feels like there's something lacking. It's I don't know if it's just my mentality. I like to feel like I've really achieved making the image or put the effort into getting it. Mm -hmm. It's there's so many people doing landscape photography now, especially with the likes of Instagram, etc. Mm -hmm. Even if I'm getting the same type of image as someone, which I'm trying not to anyway, but I like to know that I've put that extra effort in, mm -hmm. even if it's a well-known location. Mm -hmm. I just, I just feel like putting that bit of extra effort and it just makes me feel like I've achieved and accomplished what I'm set out to do in the first place. Yeah, I think it's it's obviously working out for you because um, you've had some success um, in the Scottish Landscape Photographer of the Year contest and you won the, the landscape category in 2021, right? Yeah, yeah. So that must have been good to get that phone call or uh, how did you feel that when you got that news? I was kind of speechless. I still kind of am when I think about it now. Um, yeah, it was a huge honour, basically. Just I've entered the last three years, been lucky to get uh, a couple of awards in the first two years that I entered. Um, and yeah, to get the kind of landscape category for the, the single image, it just kind of bolstered what I'm doing. It just made me feel like, yeah, I'm 
sticking in the right track. It's quite easy to get kind of get into a bit of a lull and get a bit disheartened with what you're doing at times. Um, and just yeah, getting something like that just makes you go, actually, no, just you might get those bad days, but just keep doing what you're doing. It will. Mm -hmm. It's on the path that you're wanting to be on. Mm -hmm. So it was, yeah, it was a huge honour, especially to be included alongside so many other brilliant photographers. Yeah. It, was, it was a good moment for us. I can imagine, <laughs> yeah. When you get there, you find the spot you more or less want to get to. How do you start putting mm -hmm. it together? With a camera on the tripod or in your hand, how do you start putting things together once you're like, okay, I'm here, now what? Yeah, so... Depends on the location. Generally, got the tripod, so I'll get the the camera set up, and it will be a lot of, especially the weather ahead out, and if it's quite wet, a lot of kind of test shots, just lining everything up, checking out for compositions that might work. Um, a lot of the photography I actually use a long lens for, so I use a anything over a two hundred mil or a six hundred mil lens. Mm -hmm. So it's not so much the composition of the foreground I'm looking at, it's looking at the, the kind of rolls of the hills and the layers of the hills running through. I like to get quite long shots where your eyes drawn right through a landscape mm -hmm. to that patch of light in the background, right. which I think is where a lot of the waiting comes in because I can line up the shot, I can get everything composed, uh, which might be from a few miles away, uh, looking through all the mountains, sitting in it's waiting for that one patch of light mm -hmm. to illuminate the the one spot in the in the landscape that I want to pick out. Um, so yeah, it's basically just to, kind of trying the combination of lenses, um, seeing whether the foreground will work better or whether it is going to be a long lens shot. Um, and then once I've kind of got an action plan in my head, is just sit down and wait and enjoy the scenery and uh, yeah, just relax. It's definitely, as I think I mentioned earlier, it's quite a meditative process for me being out in the landscape so yeah, I can set everything up if I don't get the shot at least I've spent a day out in, in the wilderness mm -hmm. I'm quite happy with that. And so do you go alone for the most part? Yeah definitely go alone um, I think my partner would crack up if she came along with me <laughs> <laughs> and I just I find it so I used to take my I've got a dog I used to take my dog with me um, He'd be out in the hills all day with me, but he's retired now. He's getting quite old. Okay. Um, so, yeah, no, I, I just I prefer the trying to get a piece of the surroundings. Mm -hmm. I don't like to be thinking, it's my time to switch off. Mm -hmm. I don't want to be thinking, has this person got bored now? Yeah. Are they cold? Are they wet? The, I don't mind if I'm soaked through, but yeah, if I start feeling like someone else is losing the will with me on the hill then yeah. I'd end up giving up and then I'd be halfway off the hill and the light would come yeah. and I would sure. crack up so <laughs> yeah so just on that meditation note because it's something that has come up um, quite a lot in the last season actually it just sort of mm -hmm. came up quite a bit I spoke to Paul Sanders who's all about that and um, I wanted to just follow up on that with you What's what's that like for you? What does that meditation feeling in the landscape, doing landscape photography, what does that look like or feel like for you in the moment? How do you go into sort of a flow state or you kind of zoning out of other things? How How is it in practical terms? Yeah, I think it's a weird one. It's kind of zoning out to an extent because you just switched off completely and hopefully I'm in an area that's got no phone signal so there's no interruptions from anywhere. Mm -hmm. 
So you do kind of zone out, but then you also reach a point where you've zoned out. But then you kind of get a bit heightened a bit, so you're starting to notice things a bit more. So you're noticing the deer that's running along the ridge of the hill, or a buzzard over there, and an eagle up in the top ridge. So it's kind of, you, you go past the zoned out stage to the more kind of heightened, just starting to hear the grass rustling and see the trees moving a bit. And that's what I think helps in spending that time out in the landscape when you're trying to get photos, because you're once you reach that stage, you're noticing things that you wouldn't notice if you just turned up for five minutes or ten minutes. Mm-hmm. You just If you turn up for five minutes, you go, beautiful place, you get your photo you'd move on again, but it's that, it's like I mentioned earlier, it's getting that feeling into the photo, it's just getting that wee bit of grass moving through, or just, yeah, no, it just helps you notice things that you probably wouldn't if you just hadn't taken the time to relax in, the, in your surroundings. Yeah, that's really cool to hear you say that in, in those terms, and I, just to go back to what we spoke about earlier, I'm, I have no doubt that your experience in the outdoors it's really empowering your landscape photography and your senses, which I think are really important to just, like you're saying, I think, push things over the top just to separate you, take your, your work to a different level. I wanted to um, just change direction slightly because I saw on your website yeah. you've done some commissioned work for Maserati, Amazon, um, BBC and others. So I wanted to ask about the Maserati commission because yeah. it's a little bit different, obviously, than than what you're typically doing. Um, yeah. How did that come about? Uh, that was quite a random one. It was probably one of the most random and exciting emails I've ever had pop through <laughs> my phone. So, I, um, I was just sitting on my <laughs> uh, sitting on my tea break out in the forest and got an email. And when I first read it, I thought, it's probably spam. Yeah. I'll go back to it later. So I came back to it later and read it again. So, okay. so basically they came across my Instagram account, um, like my landscape photography, and they had the new models, uh, the Ghibli and Quattroporti, etc. So they were coming up to do the North Coast 500. Mm-hmm. Um, they had already got, I think it was an editor of What Car magazine and an F1 journalist in the other two cars, but they wanted something to capture some images of the car going around the North Coast 500 um, in the landscape and asked if I would want to do it. So after about a second of thinking, I said, yes, quite like to do that, thank you. <laughs> um, so yeah, it was a three-day trip around the North Coast 500. I got to drive the car to the locations. Um, basically, I had free rain, um, and I was just trying to get that, that mood of Scotland and the kind of atmospheric weather and the car in it, and I actually stood out really well in the in the images it was quite tough but yeah it was a very kind of left field um thing for me to do because i've been so kind of focused into the landscape photography and obviously doing a, all the photography myself mm-hmm. trying to make the car look like it was traveling through the landscape even though it was just parked up on the side of the road and get that kind of there was a lot of work involved a lot of kind of park the car somewhere safe run up the closest hill get a shot of that, run back down, move to the next point. So it was a busy, busy weekend, but yeah, it was yeah. a, what an experience. It was, uh, handing, the, handing the keys back at the end of the trip was not a nice thing. So, <laughs> <laughs> so I was going to ask if they were specific in the images that they wanted, but it sounded like you had a free hand then. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, just free brain. They just wanted to yeah, capture the, 
basically capture the cars who travelled around the North Coast mm -hmm. 500, so I just had pretty much uh, free reign, decide what would work, created a kind of portfolio of images, and then emailed them through at the end of the trip, and they selected which ones they wanted, so they used a couple on the website, and then the rest they used on social media for advertising the trip. But yeah, to have that kind of free reign and be able to be creative, not have too tight a brief to follow, Mm -hmm. was quite nice. Um, a few of the commissions have done it, and there is quite a tight brief, which is nice, because then you know that's the images you have to get. Once you've mm -hmm. got them, you can make another couple of images using your creativity a bit more and send them through, but at least you know you've hit the brief. They were happy with the images. I was happy yeah. with the images I've made. So, Can you talk about an another commission that you had which was more specific? Uh, the one for Amazon was basically, again, it's were photographing the locations that they used for the Outlander series, the second series. Right. So they just wanted to, it was kind of in conjunction with Visit Scotland, so I had to say I had to, it wasn't much of a, a trial. I had to travel around all the locations that they'd filmed in, um, used for the locations, uh, photograph them, and then just use my social media to highlight that these locations were used, show a bit of the history behind it. But also say this is where they filmed the second series of Outland and so, uh, promoting the, the series in a way as well. So yeah, it was quite a tight, obviously tight time scale to get round all the locations and yeah, the specific shots so that people could see the images I produced and also relate them to the series that were watching at the time. So, mm -hmm. I was wondering, you know, we've spoken earlier about how you approach landscape photography and it's very much an escape you're switching off it's a it's a, a release for you when you're commissioned it's it's not that it's work you know and you have to produce yeah, something yeah. i was wondering how you found that if, i mean how did you find the experience of shooting under those conditions was it a different feeling or did you just try mm -hmm. and approach it like you would normally approach any photograph um definitely yeah definitely tried to approach it in the same way but yeah completely different feeling that's um i wouldn't say stressful but you do feel more constrained with what you're doing so you're more aware of uh, the time and the images you're having to get um it's good in a way because it pushes you it gets you instead of having to wait till you relax to get those start notes and those little things you have to be on it straight away notice everything frustrating in a way because i do like to wait for the specific light and obviously you can't wait for the light in those conditions so you have to work with what you get um but yeah there's i do like doing it it's not something i actively pursue i'm happy to do these things i, I love challenging myself where i can yeah and i assume that now you get uh, you've done that job, you get free Maseratis for life or something like that. Is that right? <laughs> if only, if only. Yeah, that brings us on to talk about camera gear, which is sponsored by MPB. So, okay, you dive into your camera bag for landscape photography. What's your sort of go-to lens and uh, camera and lens combination? So I've now got a Canon 5D Mark III body. Um, which I found was really good. I went from, I used to use a Canon 80D crop sensor. Loved that camera. Took it to the Arctic Circle with me. Took it everywhere. 
and it was an amazing bit of kit, but just wanted to move to full frame. Um, but also didn't want to go down the brand new bit of kit uh, straight off because I do spend so much time out in the, the wet conditions, even if they say they're fully waterproof. Mm-hmm. It's too much money to risk in my mind, so it was going to a second hand can 5D Mark III body I got. I've got selection of lenses ranging from kind of 17 to 40 mil, um, 50 mil prime lens, 85 mil prime lens, 70 to 200, and then the 150 to 600 telephoto lens. Um, also got a DJI Mavic Pro 2, which is a fairly new addition. Um, mm-hmm. More for kind of getting small clips and just yeah, just to give me a slightly different perspective than something I'm not using to a huge extent at the moment, but do actually, I used to be dead against them, actually quite like them now. So, yeah. um, so that's, that's probably, yeah, I think the main, it's a kit that I can think of at the moment. Still got the old ATD body, but I mainly use that for a backup camera now. So. Mm-hmm. And so, um, filters, are you a filtered guy or? Yeah, I do have, I've got kind of graduated, soft graduated filters. Um, I used to use them, I went through a phase, it was kind of the fashion, everything was long exposure, smooth that water out and then it kind of fell away. I do use, occasionally use the graduated filters just depending on the conditions. Um, yeah, I've got them in, they're in the camera bag, but it's just completely dependent on the conditions and the light, what I want to highlight in the frame, so uh, they are quite good for adjusting your exposure so you can get, you can highlight that bit of light that you want to darken everything else down in the shot, so it's do as much uh, processing in the shot rather than post-processing as possible. Yeah, is it Lightroom, and how long would you typically spend on an image there? Yeah, uh, use Lightroom couldn't get my head around Photoshop to save myself, so just avoided that one. Lightroom's nice and easy to do what I want. Um, yeah, generally trying to spend as little time as I can in Lightroom, um, especially now with having a young kid, I just don't get the time to do it. So it's, yeah, yeah kind of one thing I've found I really like with the, the kind of 5D and most of the Canons have got quite a lot of functionality, so you can actually get the image looking how you want, get your exposure just right. It's one of those things that's using the mixture of the kind of graduated filters and exposure just to enhance that light before I go into Lightroom. And then it's just a small tweaks just to kind of accentuate that. It's, uh, yeah, when I started out, probably quite guilty of over-egging stuff, um, but you kind of learn pretty quick that that's not a good route to go down. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, it's easy to do though. It's and it's it is, hard yeah. when you're looking at the picture for twenty minutes to know if you've gone too far or not. No, um, um, I think that's one thing I find that I quite like is having that image in mind before I head out, so I kind of know the end result almost that I'm hoping right. to get before I get back home again. So it's yeah, it's kind of I find that helps me avoid that go too, too mad with the effects in Lightroom. So. Yeah. Uh, anything in your camera bag, Mark, that you just never use? Um, 
I think everything. I've got an old GoPro that I got, and I've no idea why I got it. I had great ambitions, but that never. I think I was wanting to get those nice low water shots and uh, uh, kind of half submerged, submerged shots. I must admit, never used that. Mm-hmm. My eighty-five mil lens, I do really like, but it is probably the more rarely used of my lenses. Beautiful lens, but just. Yeah, I think it is more suited to kind of nice portrait work out, out in the field. Um, well, the reason I ask is just to set me up to plug our sponsors, MPB, because most people have something they don't use in their camera bag. So why not trade it to MPB for something you will use? MPB buys, sells, and trades thousands of items every week, and everything comes with a six-month warranty. Um, I'll put a link in the show notes where you can get a quote for selling your unused kit to MPB and I'll make a link to all the gear that Mark mentioned um, so you can check that out too. So thanks again to MPB for sponsoring the show. Okay, that takes us on to a round called Double Exposure. So I'm going to ask you about one of your pictures, which I particularly like, and you can tell me the story behind that, and then I'll um, ask you to pick one of your own and that's got a memorable story to share as well. So... I thought there's no better place to go with this than the winning picture from the Scottish Landscape Photographer of the Year. So I think it's, is it called First Light at Loch? Loch Ederlin, yeah. All right, Ederlin. Yeah. So is there a, a story that goes with that one? How did that one come about? Um, loch Ederlin's actually, is a small loch in, that I pass every day on my commute to work. And it is one of the most picturesque little lochs in the local area um, mm-hmm. just somewhere that always catches my eye it's always got different light on it um, and yeah it's just somewhere that I love to photograph it's just it's just a beautiful view you look onto it's all the different colours of the trees and the nice misty mornings generally that we get around here um, Scotland's obviously got its kind of classic locations and well photographed locations I feel Argyle is somewhat overlooked we're kind of surrounded by all the beautiful places mm-hmm. people travel past here to get to the islands but they rarely stop off so it's somewhere I've just yeah, Loch Erdelin I've found kind of encapsulates of what I love about the landscape around here, I work in the forest all the time it's always got nice light on it it's yeah, it just kind of it's one of those locations. It's just got everything I love about the area and what I love about spending all my time outside. Yeah, I had to enter that one into. It was a beautiful morning. Um, like I say, I drive past it nearly every day. This was a a weekend. I went there. It'd been forecast for clear skies during the night, which I knew would let the temperature drop away. Um, with a forecast of clouds in coming in, so I was thinking might be some nice light coming in later as well. Went round for sunrise, just sat, there's just a nice little bit, just off the roadside you can sit, uh, just sat there, waited for the light to come in, and literally it was one of those, sat there for two hours, got five minutes of light just when the mist lifted just enough. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> and uh, yeah, couldn't have been happier with the, the conditions that day. Yeah, just that little patch of light, it's very much a, one of your pictures. Mm. And I like the the sort of undulation on the bank on the other side of the loch. Yeah. 
and the, the shape of the of the that is highlighted by the light in the reflection as well really adds a lot of movement to the picture. It's mm -hmm. really really nice shot. No, thank you. Um, there's just another one I wanted to pick up on, if you don't mind. Where mm -hmm. um, it's from, it's in an in Instagram description. It says uh, something bright from Ranekmore on a showery autumn day, and it's a square image, I think, um, with a rainbow coming through like this and there's some logs in the foreground and the light is further away. Right. I think there's yeah. some rain coming through. Do you know the picture I'm talking about? I think I do, yes. I think I know the one. <laughs> so it's uh, you've got so many amazing rainbow pictures, you don't know which one is which. Yeah. So I think I know the one in Rana. <laughs> that's a, a phenomenal location as well. Hmm. And but the it's the light, isn't it? I mean the yeah. light just brings it to life. So was there a bit of waiting and patience went into that one as well? Yes, Rannoch Moor's one of my, I'm lucky it's only an hour and a half drive from where I live um, and it is, for all it's a well-photographed location, there is a good reason for it because it's stunning part of Scotland, it's really easy to access um, which suits a lot of people and it's just somewhere I love to go. For all you've got a main road fairly close, you can walk a quarter mile off the road and just have peace and quiet to yourself. Um, so it's, yeah, kind of one of my go-to spots. It looks different, completely different every time I go there. Um, that day was particularly wet. Just sat there really wondering why I bothered getting out of bed that day. Completely <laughs> read the weather wrong that day. <laughs> and it was literally one of those five minutes before I thought, no, it was time to go and get changed and head home. It just a brief break in the clouds, let the light through. And just the way the light, I find something I love about the rainbows. If you catch them at just the right angle and just when they're forming, they just illuminate. It's almost like a ray of light coming through the rainbow. It's not just the rainbow itself. And there's something mm -hmm. I love about them. You catch the shower coming through it and yeah, just that's the kind of atmosphere that I love about spending all that time up there. It's brilliant. It's so, so good. So it is a great location. You're lucky to have it so close by. That's four hours mm -hmm. for me. So lucky to have that on your doorstep. So anyway, to um, complete this round, is there a picture or just an amazing, memorable experience that you've had in your photography journey that's just got a great story attached to it that you can share? Yeah, I think, uh, well, I told the, the score to the story earlier on. I think the best memory I've got, as I mentioned, I'm, I'm half Norwegian. I've got a lot of family in Norway and it's somewhere pre-COVID I would go once or twice a year see the family and get the northern lights and do all that kind of thing. Um, so in about seven, maybe six years ago, uh, I'd seen, again, Lofoten up in the, the Arctic Circle. Started yeah. seeing some images that creeping into social media and thought that's somewhere I should really go when I get there. So... I took the, the cheap way of going rather than flying direct. I got a train from where my family stay near Trondheim. It was a nine-hour train journey, uh, an overnight in Boda in the Arctic Circle, and then a four-hour ferry ride to get to Lofoten, uh, in the south yeah, of Lofoten. And then I spent four days hiking round there. Um, and the best morning, and it was the first morning, I arrived late at night, couldn't sleep with the excitement. Uh, couldn't mm -hmm. afford to rent a car or do anything like that so I had to walk everywhere and it was about a, I think it was 
an hour and a bit walk from where I was staying to get to Reina, the main picturesque uh, fishing village there. Yeah. So I set off early in the morning. Would uh, you say that when I was there? Kind of October time. Doesn't get light till about 10 o'clock, but I think I was just that excited. Got away about mm-hmm. 6 in the morning, went hiking along mm-hmm. the road, came round the corner, and the village just kind of opened up in front of me. It's like, this is beautiful. And then I was like, right, mm-hmm. so set the camera up and enjoy, enjoy the view, wait for the sunrise. Keeping everything across the sunrise would happen, and it was one of the most mind blowing sunrises I've ever seen. Just the whole sky just went the brightest pink you've ever seen, minimal clouds, just a really vibrant colour. Um, and yeah, that's a memory that will stay with me for a long time. I was lucky it was still, in its early days, it wasn't as popular as it is now. So it was literally just me and a local woman standing there. And we both, right. like, I could speak a little bit of Norwegian, but not very much, but we just spoke through nodding and going, wow. <laughs> it was just, it was <laughs> unreal. It was, uh, yeah. You know, one of those places that just is kind of changes what you know about landscapes. It's just so impressive. It's, um, right. Yeah, it's a memory. It's a place that will never leave my mind. Right. Your love for Tim pictures are some of the best I've seen, and I think the one that you're describing is the lead picture in that gallery on your website. Yeah. Um, it's just it looks amazing, and I, I can relate to what you're saying about not sleeping. Or if I'm going to a location. Um, I had this in Glencoe before um, just no way I was going to sleep mm. dreaming of when I did I'm dreaming about doing the picture that I'm going to get up in the morning to do mm. <laughs> and um, it can really especially, especially when you invest a lot of time I think in the trip you really really want to get it mm. but then it's not just about getting it is it it's about being in the place and enjoying mm. it as well and uh, you really captured that. It's just fantastic. Yeah, thank you. Glad you like it. Yeah, no worries. So that whole section on your website is it's got a few pictures and they're all absolutely top rate. So I recommend people check out the Lovetton section on your website. So thanks for sharing that, Mark. That brings us to the final round, which is called Motor Drive, and it's a quick fire round. So um you ready for this? I think so, yeah. <laughs> okay, the rest of, has just been a warm-up. This is right. what we're here for. So, Okay, wide-angle or telephoto? Telephoto. Okay, so you always think it's going to be wide-angle with a landscape photographer, but I know you, know, you touched on it earlier, but telephotos have really come into their own for landscapes the last right. few years, I think. Okay, coffee or tea? Coffee. Hands down. <laughs> uh, <laughs> expensive lens cloth or just the corner of your shirt? corner of the shirt most of the times to be honest <laughs> mm-hmm. it's the go-to answer everybody does it uh, okay what's your um what's the your go-to emoji uh love heart eyes one i oh, love heart eyes okay i get it i always ask people about their local you know music scene so what's what's best scottish musician or band for you uh, good question um i like Quite traditional music, Scottish-wise, so I like Skippinish. Uh, the fiddle player used to be my fiddle player uh, teacher when I was a teenager. Okay, say the band name again. Skippinish. Skippinish. Okay, I'm going to yeah. put a link in the show notes. There's a lot of really good traditional music in Scotland, mm-hmm. isn't there? Like, yeah. really good bands, really good musicians. Um, okay, what's a weird thing I can find in your camera bag? Uh, 
<laughs> Probably old wrappers from energy bars, I think would be the weirdest thing. <laughs> <laughs> they just stay in there. Yeah. <laughs> Extra <Okay>. padding. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So it's this idea that we're all supposed to, when we get back, take all our stuff out and clean it and charge it and have it all pristine and ready for the next time we go out. Are you like that or no. are you a bit more... Um... I'm home, get a shower or a bath, get some sleep, then have a look at my images and cleaning out my bag comes further down the line. That's... <laughs> I see. Who is one photographer we should all go and check out? Uh, personal favourite is Max Reeve. Stunning, just really dramatic. A lot of images from South America, um, big mountain vistas. Just uh, his work's quite inspirational. It's... Okay, yeah, I know who you're talking about. He seems to be one of these guys who, in maybe in normal times, is just permanently going around the world. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when do you feel at peace with the universe? Hey. When I've got that shot I've waited a long time to get, or when I finally get a full night's sleep when my body decides to let me sleep. <laughs> Great, okay. Back to work tomorrow, Mark. You chopping some trees down or? Uh, not chopping trees down tomorrow, no. Just uh, planting season now, so busy time of year. We're restocking several hundred thousand hectares of forest, so going to keep the squad happy planting away and checking the contractors. Really cool. Okay, I so appreciate your time, Mark. I know this took a couple of shots for us to, to really get together in the end, but um, you've been really good sport and really enjoyed going through your work and hearing your take on it. I'm so inspired by when you were talking about uh, just tuning into the conditions and how your senses get heightened. I've never heard that before, and um, it's, it's been really insightful. Thanks a lot, Mark. No, thank you very much for having me along. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much for listening. Follow Mark on Instagram. Links to everything we spoke about are in the show notes. And don't forget to get your tickets for Viewfinders Live with Scott Chathenio. And if you like this episode, then check out my conversations with Dylan Ardini and Mark McCall, also fantastic Scottish landscape photographers. Have a great week. Enjoy your photography and I'll see you out there.